Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Well, the Badgers uh, finished off the non-conference season in impressive fashion, I think you could say, winning by 37 over number 23, Louisville. Shorthanded Louisville. Well, I'll, I'll clarify it with that. But they dominated them. It was a, a runaway game, and Wisconsin finishes the non-conference 6-1. That 37-point victory, that largest margin of victory against an AP Top 25 in UW history. It topped their uh, victory over Iowa back in the 2014-15 season. But it was a uh, great effort on both ends of the floor. Hit 16 threes, go on the other end and uh, hold Louisville to 48 points. It was it was uh, as complete of a performance as they've had this year, Jesse. Yeah, it was absolutely tremendous. And uh, Demetrius Trice got him off on the right foot. He buried three threes right at the outset. You knew it was going to be a good day. I'm wondering why he didn't shoot again, given how hot he was. But obviously there were enough shooters on the floor uh, to contribute without him. But man, honestly, this game reminded me, and I know it's not the exact same thing, but do you remember the 2014 NCAA tournament against Baylor? Where yes, the, yeah. w- w- Wisconsin is just totally dominating opponent, an opponent, and you know this other team is supposed to be good, and you just can't figure out like how they're in the same league. I know, <laughs> I know it's not exactly the same, and Wisconsin didn't win that game by nearly as much, right. but I was just looking at this thinking, everything Wisconsin is throwing up is going in. Uh, I'm, I think the other team's good, but they're, they're certainly not playing with it. And, and I think it's worth acknowledging I, I Louisville hadn't played in, what, 18 days yep. and didn't have its best player. Having said that, this looked like, and it's December, a Final Four type team to me. I mean, that is the Wisconsin team that we feel like um, could show up in March because of the number of scores they have. You know, they had four guys in double figures, but they also had Johnny Davis with seven. Uh, Nate Reavers had eight and, and Demetric had nine and, and nine at the outset. So very special performance from Wisconsin and something you just don't see every day, which is why it was a record setting that day. It was. Do you, do you put a little qualifier on it because of Louisville being down the guys they were? Or do you just yeah, say, or I, you just say, screw it. Nope. They put up 85 points. Who cares? I mean, I, I think it, it's, it's worth pointing out. You know, you have to acknowledge the fact that the last time Louisville had played was December 1st, and that was a, a game against Western Kentucky. I mean, they've, they've barely been able to do much for 18 days or so. So I think it's worth acknowledging. At the same time, they came into that game a top 25 uh, opponent. That was a, a Big Ten ACC matchup. It was a big deal for Wisconsin, and it's going to reflect well when the committee starts evaluating resumes in March. It definitely will, and uh, again, it's, it seems like it's a different guy every night. Obviously, Micah Potter right now is leading them in scoring, but we've seen Nate Reavers lead them in scoring. We've seen Demetri Trice lead them in scoring. We've seen Brad Davison lead them in scoring. It is uh, up and down. It's kind of what we envision coming in, no? the Just the ability to have a different guy every night and not necessarily counting on one particular weapon to get it done. Yeah, and the thing this week, and you know, when we do these shows, it's sort of a week-to-week analysis, and, and yeah. so they, they obviously played Loyola the, earlier in the week as well. I mean, they're shooting the three really well. They went 10 for 18 against Loyola, and then, as you said, 16 for 25 against Louisville. I, I don't expect them to shoot 60-plus percent for the season, but that's part of what makes this team special is you can't defend one guy in particular. I mean, go back to that Loyola game. You had six different guys make a three-point shot, so... You've got the bigs who can pop out and score. You've got the guards that are scoring. Davison and Trice had a team-high 17 points against Loyola, and Davison's gotten a shot going a little bit. So, yeah, that that's part of 
why Wisconsin will be such a difficult out. And I know we sort of t- tend to look ahead all the time to March, but really when you have a team this good, um, it's it's reasonable to wonder what they can be capable of, although we're about to start Big Ten play and what is going to be an absolute meat grinder with uh, the toughest conference in college basketball. It definitely is. Just sticking on the point of flexibility in, in terms of just the ability for anybody to do it on a single night, you know the last time they had, right now they got four guys averaging double figures. You know the last time they did that for a season? Where they had four guys in double figures for a season? Can you give me a hint without giving it away? Because I don't know off the top of my head. Um, trying to think. Let's see. What year would that have been? It'll give listeners a chance to regroup and think about it, too. Yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of something that would... John Luer got hurt. Uh, 06, 07? That was the... Uh, ch- that was the... Oh, cha- no, that's that was the number. Bush got hurt. Yeah, that was the uh, number one year. <laughs> Uh, there's a few, some getting hurt. A few um, years after nine, that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. 10-11 or 9-10? 9-10. Yeah. John Luer, uh hurt his hand, missed, I think he ended up missing nine games uh, that season. I believe he got hurt against Purdue, or maybe the, maybe he returned against Purdue. One of the two. Either way, he uh, ended up playing 24 games, but he, he ended up leading them in scoring at 15 points a game. Trayvon Hughes was at 15, Jason Bohannon was at 11, and Jordan Taylor was at 10. So, and then they, you know, Keaton Ankvold was at 8.1, but right now Wisconsin's getting contributions from everywhere and it's leading to what is a very balanced scoring lineup with Michael Potter at 13, Demetri Trice at 11, Nate Reavers at 11, Brad Davison at 10. Obviously, Reavers has been up and down of, as of late. We'll get to him uh, because I think he can be as a frustrating, him and Aleem Ford can be, can be frustrating at times, I think, for fans. But I wanted to go back to Demetri Trice's effort. You, you you mentioned the three threes that he hit right off the bat and that he didn't score again. I still made him my player of the game because even after that point, he still ran the offense to perfection almost. He had five assists, no turnovers. He's, his assist-to-turnover ratio is just off the charts uh, so far this year. I mean, he's got 26 assists and five turnovers. So that is close to five to one. You know? uh, that is a record uh, numbers we're talking about, at least probably for a single season at Wisconsin. I remember when Jordan Taylor was here and he had the assisted turnover ratio and it was like, what, three something? You mean something? For, for a career? Yeah. Yeah. I'll to, I mean, I, I'm not positive on that, but it sounds about right. Here, I'm going to have to find it because I want I, I do kind of want to know. All I'm saying is like this, and this is a re, this is a continuing theme from from the end of last year, where he was just taking care of the ball as well as he had his entire career. Yeah, the the, the career mark for assist to term ratio is is three to one. Jordan Taylor had that. In terms of a season, it is four point three to one. Mike Kelly back okay. in 1999. Taylor that year when he had the magical 2010-11 year. He led the nation in assist to turnover ratio. It was three point eight three. Yeah. Um, yep. So the fact that Trice is out here uh, at five to one is just astounding. I know we're early in the season, but yeah, I mean you can't say enough good things about what he's been able to do. And the thing is, he's second on the team in scoring, but he doesn't need to be that guy every night because of the number of, of players that he has around him uh, and and not turning the ball over. And that is obviously a staple of Wisconsin basketball. And as a team, they've got almost a two to one assist to turnover ratio. A lot of that has to do with Trice, but this is a team that's quintessential Wisconsin that takes care of the basketball and doesn't beat itself. I'm just wondering if they can keep the three-point shooting up. I, I know what they did in that eight... A lot of people have pointed to the eight-game streak at the end of last year. and point, you know, They shot over 40% from three. And many thought that that was impossible to keep up, right? I, I, I yeah. probably would agree with that as well. Base, look, I, 
I'm in the opinion that they've always been a good shooting team. I go back to the start of the 2018-19 season where they shot at lights out to begin the year, and then Demetri Trice and Brad Davison fell off the cliff, right? And uh, it was it was bad. It was, like, really bad. Uh, I think they got tired. And so towards the end of that year, it, it really they were leading the country in three-point shooting at one point in that year to start the season. At least, I mean, Demetri Trice shooting 60%. Obviously, you're not going to shoot 60% for an entire year, but it, it fell off a cliff. And then at the beginning of last year, it kind of stayed down there in that in that uh, in the canyon. It was way down there. It was way down. And all of a sudden, that eight game stretch, they caught fire. And now they've caught fire again here to start this year. They're shooting, you know, forty three percent, forty three point seven percent from three. Are you confident that they can keep it around that? Not not necessarily saying it's got to be over forty, but. 38 39 for an entire year or are we going to see them fall off a cliff like they did two years ago i really feel more confident about this team that it is capable of doing something like this consistently not necessarily 44 percent for a season but look around the country right now you said they're 43.7 percent. that's fourth in the country in, in three-point shooting the only teams that are better right now are baylor st louis and cal state fullerton um and there's about 25 teams right now in college basketball that are shooting at least 40 percent. i mean i i don't think it's unreasonable to think that Wisconsin can continue to flirt with 40 percent for for a little longer and and even if it's the high 30s you know that that is good enough to get it done um and you know we always Bo Ryan used to always talk about the points per possession and things like that and if you can uh have you know make a three-pointer what every three possessions that's a point per possession like I don't know how the, the math works out there, but I, I know that the, the more threes you make, the, the better it is for your points per possession. I just think with the number of shooters they have, if one guy is cold, uh, there's so many other guys that can pick up the slack. I, I just don't see like seven guys going cold at the same time. Having said that, the Big Ten, uh, much different situation from what non-conference play is, and they're going to be tested because there's some really good three-point shooting teams as well uh, in this league. Two other teams came into the week in the, in the uh, top ten from the – from the Big Ten, Illinois was sixth in the country in three-point shooting, and Northwestern was seventh. And obviously, the Wildcats just pulled off a big upset against Michigan State, so it's going to be tough to keep it up. But I think they have the shooters to do it. Obviously, the attempts now three-pointer is such a much bigger part of the game now than it was when it first came into college basketball. But I was looking at three-point field goal percentage like for a season, a record. The 1988-89 team shot at 44 percent, 44.8 percent. Like all the like to 87 through 92. They make up the the top five field goal percentage, three-point percentage uh, for an entire year. That record team, 326 threes they took in a season. At Wisconsin, the record is 790. And uh, we've already seen this team take a ton and 151 threes. So they're halfway mm-hmm. to <laughs> in seven games to what the record team hit in 1987 or 88. I don't think they're going to be able to hold on and take that record. Uh, but, but... I do think they can be like a 38, 39% three-point shooting team. The problem is, if it doesn't go down, mm-hmm. where's the offense coming from? Because I, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, Micah Potter in the post is, uh, he's, I think he's got some talent down there. For, for, for whatever reason, uh, Nate Reavers, I don't, I don't feel like he's uh, as comfortable down there as he has been at least, you know, towards the end of last year. It just, especially against bigger teams. And we, <laughs> he's going to see it plenty of bigger players than what he saw against Hedeba Green Bay or some of the other teams that he was able to get what he wanted down there. I mean, if they're not hitting, that's where it has to come from, right, is the bigs down low. And you figure it's it starts with Potter and Reavers. And, you know, in the swing, the guards can get in there and score, but it's not like you expect them to be posting up every possession. 
And I just think it's part of the team's DNA this year that maybe it's whether you like it or not, it's a it's a live by the three, die by the three scenario because you've got the, the five starters. Um, all of them have taken at least 18 three pointers. Uh, you know, Ford and Davison lead with 29 taken each and Trice is at 27. Potter and Reavers have taken 18. And so that's a big component. Um, I think it's interesting you're comparing late 80s and stuff like that. It's obviously a different ballgame. And the line is further back. So I just, you know, right. I think it would be really hard to, to to keep that up. But I mean, yeah, with with Reavers, we've talked about it in past seasons, too, and maybe felt like by this point it wouldn't be an issue. But um, there does seem like moments where uh, he's not the best player on the floor when you think he should be. And, and, and the physicality that he's going to face in the Big Ten is something that's been problematic at times before. Um, and I know he's, you know, had what some some foul trouble, yeah. <laughs> which doesn't help either um, and, and takes away some of your aggressiveness. But, yeah, I mean, if they're not hitting those are the bigs that are going to have to carry them. But I don't think they're going to stop shooting if they're not hitting. That's part of the thing. It's it's the shoot till you're hot, shoot till you're not uh, mantra, which is always my favorite in basketball. <laughs> and, you know, these guys are going to do that because they have that much confidence in themselves. Does does anybody have a smoother three-point shot than, than Micah Potter? I just feel like it it's so quick and it's so smooth and it's like it comes out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like you can, he, it just gets – Nate is a little bit more mechanical, a little bit slower. Micah just gets it up. It makes me wonder, like, why couldn't he fit in at Ohio State more? Right. Like, why couldn't he get more minutes? I mean, I know it's a different roster, a different makeup, but he's just been such a huge factor for Wisconsin. Like, why? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, one team's loss is another team's gain, but you look at what he's done. He's shooting 54% from the field, 50% on threes. He's an 83% free throw shooter. He leads the team in rebounding. Um, just changes the dynamic of, of this team in general with his leadership and his scoring ability. But yeah, I mean, for a big man to be able to step out the way that he does, um, and Reavers is also shooting 50%. They're both nine for 18. Uh, that's special. And it just makes this team harder to guard. It does. The, the thing about Michael Potter shooting and Nate Reavers shooting, uh, Nate's shooting better from outside of three than he is inside. Same thing. It's same thing. Wild. With, same thing with Demetri Trice and same thing with Brad Davison. Not ideal. They're cleaner shots on the outside than they are inside, but especially for a big, I, like I can, you know, and I can see it with guards, but with bigs, that shouldn't happen. Even though, even I mean, if you're hitting fifty percent of your threes, and that's the way you're going to shoot all year, okay, I guess. But you know, I just, I just feel like it has, it can be frustrating to watch Nate down low at times. Is that a fair, yeah. a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. And, and whether whether it's fair or not, I think there's a tendency to see here the seven foot guy. Like, <laughs> why don't why don't things come easier? He should score every time. Um, you know, he's not awful in the, in the interior. He's shooting about 44.1% inside, um, which, which isn't terrible, but you know, I, I think at the start of the season, I, I probably said I, he should be the leading scorer. I mean, you, you felt like he was in position to be in first team, all big 10 type performer. And I'm not saying he can't get there at this point, but it, it certainly probably hasn't been as easy or as consistent as, uh, he or fans might've liked. And I guess... He, I mean, we, we talked about him, right? We talked about how it had to be more consistent, that it had to happen every single game. Like, you needed it to be consistent throughout the season and, you know, against some of the better teams that they've played, or I should say even better teams, bigger teams that they've played, he's kind of struggled. I mean, he's, he's got 16, he's got 21 points the last three games, you know, and that's after playing, being in double figures the first four games. It's just that consistency is lacking, and you wouldn't, wouldn't expect that from... A guy like that, and I think it also is, is worth mentioning that a lot of foul trouble for him, a lot of a lot of foul trouble for him, 
and, and being forced to the bench. Now he wasn't that way against Louisville because you know Louisville did not have anybody that was going to you know get down low and, and and take them. But Kofi Cockburn, Luke Garza, go on down the line of guys in in the Big Ten that are gonna are gonna put pressure on him on on the defensive end as well as uh, you know manning up on the on the offensive end. So we'll see. But defensively, I think we talked about this with Jim Polzine. I think we're kind of, and I know Louisville was shorthanded, but I feel like we're kind of seeing them round into form and, and becoming, at least on paper, an elite team defensively. Do you think they're there yet, or do you think they're just good to very good? Where would you rank their defense at this point? I'd say very good. I, I'm not ready to proclaim them into this the stratosphere of, of defensive teams, even at Wisconsin, just because uh, get back to me when we're halfway through the big 10 season and, and, you know, you're playing teams that you've faced every single year and they know exactly what you're going to do. But like these first halves, a lot of them haven't even been close. And I think we talked about this on the previous show, but Louisville had 18 points in the first half. It was 44 to 18. Um, you know, Loyola only had 26. I know Wisconsin likes to slow the game down in general. I, I actually felt like Loyola was a really good team. I mean, yeah, that's a very quality mid-major team with a lot of three-point shooters. They had a big dude who could do work down low and, um, you know, kind of stretch guys. I, I just, um, I was really impressed by them. But Wisconsin defensively is just, they they put the team in possession position to almost coast in the second half uh, because of how well they've done and they make it difficult for teams to score. And a lot of that probably has to do with just like, the flexibility of the guys to guard multiple positions too. Um, yeah, I think they're getting there and, uh, it's got a chance to be special, but seven on conference games, I'm not ready to, to, to make that leap yet. <laughs> uh, Ken Palm has them number three in adjusted defense. Now they're also 10th, uh, adjusted offensive wise, but yeah, that seems, uh, again, I, I, I think they have the tools to be elite defensively. I think they count on the three pointer way too much to be elite offensively. Does that make sense? What do you think? Yeah, do, do, is that is that do you think that's a, a, a worthy statement? Like you can't if you're going to shoot as many threes as you are and count on it, that's going to be a little bit difficult to be efficient with, or no? Uh, no, I actually think they could be. It's just will they knock them down in the critical moments? I mean, if they're going to shoot forty plus percent on three pointer, then uh, that is elite level offense and that is tremendously efficient. And while it may not match the twenty fourteen fifteen, it, it it may be you know second best in the in the era that but we've this, seen in recent years. But this goes back to being whether that's realistic to shoot over 40% for a season. I actually, I think it is. I mean... They're a good I shooting think- team. I'm, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. But we've also seen them get into to streaks and lulls yep. each of the last two years. It was the end of the 2018-19 season. It was the beginning of last season. 100%. Uh, so it's very possible that come next month or come February, they go back to where they were before. Yeah, I mean, I, they're going to, uh, cliched phrase, regress to the mean at least a little bit. Like, they're not a, a season-long 44% three-point shooting team, but I, I I think they can hover around 40 for a while, and, and maybe they can stay there if, uh, you know, enough guys can carry them in a given game. I mean, t- to me, that is, uh, that's special. Like I said, at least right now, there's only 25 teams in America that are averaging 40% from three, and most of those teams haven't gotten into their conference seasons, too. So I understand it's going to be more difficult, but... I'm just saying I think it's possible. I think this could be an elite-level offense just because of the, the number of scores they have. I mean, even, you know, the Louisville game, like Trevor Anderson comes off the bench and, and he yeah. buries all three of his three-pointers. You know, it's just to have to have that luxury of, of a guy who you're not relying on to score at all, come in, make all four of his field goals, score 11 points. Um, 
you know, those are the types of things that can be a separator because they really do have eight different guys that could score in double figures on a given night. They do. There's no doubt about that. Uh, do you think, uh, tre- and they've, they've kind of talked about this a little bit, uh, that Trevor kind of changes them up a little bit. And I don't think you would necessarily expect that. Like when he comes in for Demetri Trice, things get revved up a little bit. Thing, the, the play starts coming a little faster. They get into, they get into the offense a little, bit, lo- a little bit quicker than perhaps when Demetri is running things. Do you see that? Hmm, that's a good point. Um, I don't know. A little I mean, energy I, off the bench kind of thing? Yeah, I think there's obviously a certain intensity level that Trevor plays with, um, kind of like that bulldog mentality or whatever. And, um, I mean, I, I can see that a little bit, yeah. And, um, you know, there's like there's no drop-off when he comes in. That, that's part of what, what makes Wisconsin so good. I mean, uh, he's got 13 assists and five turnovers. It's not quite as good as, as Dimitrik, but – uh, he just he runs the offense. He does his job, and you know you can count on him not to make uh, you know a mistake. And and he's shooting it really well. He he picks his spots too offensively. Like th- this might be the most amazing stat that he's put together. He's shooting eighty percent from the field. He's twelve for fifteen, and he's five for six on three. So you know he's only taking two shots a game. But what incredible efficiency, man! <laughs> yes, very efficient, very efficient. But. He has given them something that I don't necessarily think anybody thought was possible when he would show up. Like him coming back from the from his injury and the way that he has, and you can see it like a second year removed from it. It was kind of like Josh Gosser, you know, the first year he came back, having to wear the brace, kind of you know, a little herky jerky. He was still very good, but the second year you could kind of tell that he was getting closer to being back to what he was before. And I think we're kind of seeing that with, with Trevor now. We'll see. It, it's a huge luxury to have him coming off the bench and along with Brad. I mean, all three, him and Demetri can run the point. And um, I think that's it. That could be huge if foul trouble, which has been an issue for Wisconsin, pops up again. Let's talk about the, the foul trouble. First of all, I'm going to say this right now. NCAA officiating is among the biggest jokes in sports. It's the same guy's Every single night calling the same crap, and it's all ticky-tacky and it makes it about them. It's the same way with, with some umpires, the same way with some uh, NBA officials. It's just us. Look at us. It's just so annoying. And it happened against Rhode Island. You could not get a possession without a, without a foul or without a call, without a whistle, for the entire like last 15 minutes of the game. It was brutal to watch. That being said, Wisconsin has had, at times, a little bit of a foul issue. Now, Hasn't been so bad these past two games, though, though Nate certainly against uh, Loyola picked up some ticky-tacky stuff. But do you think uh, that is something that could hold them back? Well, absolutely, because if you take out a couple of your bigs, I mean, you know, well, we've but, talked about this before, but well, go ahead. I was just going to add, throw in Marquette, the Marquette game where you had both Micah and Nate and yeah. Brad Davison sitting on the bench for a large portion of that first half. Right, because then you're asking, I mean, who's your, who's your five man? You know, are they going to... Stephen Crowell, like Ben Carlson, uh, guys to come in that are younger guys that are freshmen. But I think part of the problem is uh, some of the teams that they've played are really good at creating switches and mismatches and getting to the basket. And the teams that get to the basket tend to draw the most fouls. And that was a problem uh, against Rhode Island and Marquette. So, yeah, I of course I think it has the potential to be a problem. If Wisconsin went 12 deep, that'd be different from going 8 deep. But you lose your top two bigs or, or one of them has to sit, then, you know, you're asking other guys to fill the void and you know, Potter's the leading scorer. Reavers is the third leading scorer. He's the team's best shot blocker. So 
Um, I, I, yes, I think it's something to monitor. It's more than just a one-off. It's, it's kind of, it's become a trend. Yes. And Greg Gard said after, I think, I think it was after the, the Rhode Island game that line item number one was dealing with the fouling, how to avoid putting yourself in the situation they, like they did against Rhode Island and they, they did against in earlier games. How do you avoid that? And I think it's not so much, you know, you know, Nate's going to get some fouls when he comes over and tries to block shots because that's just. You know, he's a shot blocker, right? He's the all-time leader in, in blocks of Wisconsin. That's, that's going to happen. I think it's the ticky-tacky stuff away from the ball or, you know, away from the rim. You just Those are the stupid ones that you can't deal with. Like when you're trying to, when you're trying to tip out an offensive rebound or you're trying to, you know, like that stuff, just go back and play defense. You know, don't, uh, don't uh, compound a missed shot with a stupid foul. Yes. <laughs> and you go back and look at that Loyola game, and, I mean, Nate had 4,025 minutes. Tyler Wall had four fouls in 22 minutes. Overall, it wasn't a ton of fouls, but, you know, when they start to add up for a couple of your rotational players, uh, it changes a lot. So I know it's line item number one. I'm sure it will continue to be a, a point of emphasis from guard uh, in the Big Ten when it's uh, when it's really a slog. Right. And I think the thing with the, the Tyler Wall is is he gives, for whatever reason, Aleem Ford has just been, um, what's the word? What's the phrase? Less than great in the first <laughs> less than great in the first half of games. He has really, really struggled in the first half of games. Second half, he's come around and he's played really good basketball. I don't know what mm. the deal is there. I don't know how you how you fix that. But I think that's where Tyler Wall comes in so big. And he was playing really, really well against I thought I shouldn't say really well. I thought he was playing pretty well against Loyola, but then he had to come off the had to come off the floor because of the fouls. And that meant more time for Aleem who Again, has has struggled at times in the first half and been pretty darn good in the second half. But um, you can't have uh, you can't have Tyler Wall on the bench when Aleem Ford's playing bad, and that's where the fouling I think comes in for those two guys. Can you put your finger on what the deal is with that with the first half, second half? I mean, uh, as a former basketball player yourself, uh, <laughs> as as a gym rat, you know, as a you know a really scrappy guy. Who uh, did all the little things? Oh, you're busting out all the adjectives. There. <laughs> you must not have seen me play, uh, which obviously you oh. didn't nobody did. Oh, so uh, I was kidding, of course. It's not. I mean, just yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Have you ever? Have you, oh, I was. I was. That was self denigration. I was. I was going to say. So you didn't do all those little things. You just. You just threw up threes at uh, at, at every time. No, uh, I would have been on the bench for doing that. If I was at Grinnell, uh, maybe it would have been a little bit different. But. Yeah. Uh, that's not how it played out. I can't explain it, to be honest. Like, it just, you warm up before the game, you get a good sweat. I mean, he's starting these games, so it's not like it's a situation where a guy's coming off the bench and he's cold. Um, I don't know what the deal is, honestly. Like, it would make more sense if it was the other way around. Maybe it just takes time to get into the flow of the game. I just throw out a bunch of cliches because I really don't have an answer. <laughs> Right, and uh, I think it also should be noted that uh, you mentioned Carlson coming off the bench. He was not suited up against Louisville, was not cleared, yeah. was not cleared medically. Uh, Carter Gilmore also not cleared, I guess, medically. So I'm not sure, we, exactly sure what those injuries were, but at least they were there, which suggests it has nothing to do with COVID, correct? That's a, that's a safe assumption? I mean, <laughs> I don't want to speculate, but if they're around the team, yeah, I mean, I suppose that would... Uh that would be the the thought process because yeah, otherwise, yeah. Uh, you know, you're nowhere to be seen. What have you seen from Carlson that that has led to him not getting on the floor? I mean, he had a, he had a rough game against Marquette, but I'm yeah. we, and we really haven't seen him since in you know, meaningful minutes. 
I don't know if it's like a, a matchup situation or what. I mean, you talked about, yeah, the Mar- Marquette game, he, the first time he went scoreless, he played 10 minutes. He only took a shot. He had one rebound. And then he played three minutes against Rhode Island, one minute against Loyola. And he hasn't scored since December 1st against Green Bay. And obviously we were singing his praises so well after the opener against Eastern Illinois. And he's still going to be a really good player for Wisconsin. But I, I don't know if it's the adjustments that a freshman has to make, if it's matchup based, if it's like what? I mean, obviously Wisconsin has the depth that it doesn't necessarily need Carlson in, in some of these games. But I think as you've talked about, there's going to be foul trouble. There's going to be other problems that crop up. You're going to need a player like him to come in and contribute. But yeah, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. But also we have to remember he's a freshman playing his first seven college games and not everyone's going to be like Johnny Davis out here balling every night. And he has been balling every night, too. Um, I love Johnny Davis, man. It's just so much fun to watch. Johnny Davis, Jonathan Davis, John Davis. What are we what are we doing? What do you think? I'd call him Johnny. I don't know. I mean, Johnny on the spot. Yeah, the, the yeah, it's like, uh, and he has been right. I mean, both ends of the floor. It feels like not every fifty-fifty ball, but a lot end up in his hands. And I think it obviously has a lot to do with his uh, drive and his motor and and just you know never stopping. But he has been impressive. I think I, I don't really know how to. I don't want to overstate it, but it's kind of hard to understate how important he's been these first seven games and how vital he's going to be coming off the bench in in the Big Ten in Big Ten play. Yeah, I mean, he's averaging 21 minutes a game. You know, it's just, obviously he's a key contributor, and I, I know I've said this before, but it's just he's got this attacking mindset, and he can score at all the levels. He doesn't look like a freshman, and he can contribute in so many different ways. Um, so just really special. You know, he has five rebounds um, against Loyola. I mean, just stuff you don't necessarily always expect from a freshman and, and um, is going to continue to be a, a big component of the team this year. So Wisconsin does open Big Ten play on Tuesday against Nebraska. When we look at the Big Ten, we already, we've already, se- already seen upsets uh, yeah. with Michigan State going down to Northwestern at home. And I don't know if you even call it an upset of Rutgers taking down Illinois. I don't think – I mean, it's – the. Rutgers was a top 25 team, and Illinois obviously is as well, but I think that probably caught a little, a few people by surprise. But it, it just feels like, um, not that there's no bottom feeder teams, but I feel like the, the good and the, the very good and the elite are all really bunched together. And I don't think that there is, I don't think a team's going to run away with this thing. I think it could possibly be like a 13 and 7, 14 and 6 situation like it was last year. Yeah, I can see that too in the in the twenty game league schedule. Just because this is a classic, teams are going to beat each other up, and you know, the, what what's really the separator between the seventh best team in the Big Ten and the guy and the team that's in first or second? Like, I think a lot of nights it's going to be pretty close to even, which we've already seen early on. And I mean, Illinois is lost. I mean, we were talking before, like who's the best team in the Big Ten? Yeah, or you know, Illinois is in the discussion here. They are with a loss. I mean, I really like Iowa. I've said before, I know, you know, they um, they uh, can't guard <laughs> or don't want to guard. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Gonzaga is also really good. That was a really entertaining game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be so much fun to watch this league uh, because there's – I'm with you. I mean, 14-6, 14-6 would be a pretty darn good uh, record in this in this league to, to win it. I'm looking at this thing. I think already eight teams already have an AP Top 25 win. Some of that is obviously against – other Big Ten teams, but like, who's the who's the worst team? Is it Nebraska? I think I think Nebraska might be the worst team in the Big Ten. I don't know about Minnesota either. They they got 
they got housed for a reason uh, by Illinois in their in in the opener for for both those teams, and then uh, came back and lost to, to Rutgers. But Minnesota six and zero was fake, and <laughs> no, right, and Nebraska, you know, is four and three, and and you know certainly in a rebuilding situation there. I don't know. I I, I think Nebraska probably is the worst team in the Big Ten. Yeah, nay, yeah. yeah, maybe. I don't know. It, they haven't played a conference game yet, so I don't know how bad these teams, you know, really are. Some of them have played one. Rutgers has played two. Illinois played two, and a few of them haven't played yet, like Wisconsin. So I, I don't know, but probably. <laughs> How's that for a, a hot take? Oh, uh, per usual, per yeah. usual for you. All right, let me so, see the teams play each other. All right, so so nobody. Well, I know you don't like going negative, so we won't talk about the worst team. Who's the best team right now? Uh, um. Man, I still like Iowa. I don't care if they can't guard. I just <laughs> they've got the best player in college basketball, and they've got shooters around him and scorers. So I don't care um, if they can't guard. You don't see, care. Did you see what happened? I told when you t- I wanted to play for Grinnell. So did you, did, I don't care about guarding. Did you see what happened when they didn't guard the other day? Gonzaga is freaking awesome, man. Yes, they are. There's a lot of good offenses in the Big Ten. Yeah, that are going to put up points and play better defense than Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Yeah. What is it, Gonzaga, Gonzaga? I've called him Gonzaga all the time. But, all right, uh, the Zags. The Zags. There you go. <laughs> Jinx. Yeah. So you so you got okay. I don't know who the best team is. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm just go ahead and say it. I don't know who Look the best you. team is. Yeah. I, You're hey, acting I'm, like me, hedging. I'm, I'm being fair about it. I don't know. I mean, I, I would have said Michigan State before uh, Northwestern took care of them, and then I probably would have said Iowa before the other day. I just don't. Uh, I, I think I was. A really, really good offensive team. I don't know who the. I think Wisconsin may be the most complete team. Yeah, I. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just give me Garza. Give me the guy who's averaging thirty points a game when it's going to be a, a big moment against a good team. I want the best player on the floor. So uh, I yeah. get that. Even I, if it's one hundred and four to one hundred and two, I get that. Wisconsin's the only and nine, the only team in the top ten in uh, both adjusted offense and adjusted defense in, in Ken Palm. So, I think that's an extremely noteworthy stat. Right. And I know we're big fans of T-Rank as well, and uh, Wisconsin's very high there as well. Uh, Wisconsin adjusted offensively in T-Rank is, um, is eighth, and in defense they are third. So, again, very, very good team in both of those very well thought of and very, very well um, liked services, both uh, T-Rank and in, in Ken Palm. I think Wisconsin may be the most complete team, and I think that they're going to be right there at the end. But I don't think any team's going to run away with this thing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you all the way. And I, I mean, look, we're coming off a game where Wisconsin destroyed Louisville. Like Wisconsin very well could win the Big Ten. Um, they're not worse than they were last year when they played great down the stretch. So I think it's yeah. I mean, it, it's going to be close. It's going to go right down to the end because there are so many teams that are capable of winning it. But Whenever we have this discussion next, you know, they've got three conference games in the next week. So we'll we'll know, obviously, a lot more. And one of them is against Michigan State. And I imagine the Spartans aren't going to be all that pleased when that matchup arrives Friday based on uh, what's happened with that that team uh, <laughs> in the last game. But does it matter? You're like you're not. It, I should say it. It obviously does matter. That the you know, Tom Izzo is going to be coming after him. But walking into that arena without the fans, what do you think? It's was, a big difference. It's a huge difference. Like I, w- I would. And, and I. People are gonna be like, "You're an idiot," but like usually I just chalk that up to a loss. 
whenever you have to go to Michigan State, no matter how good your team is. You know, like very, very good Wisconsin teams have gone in there and not won. Like I don't even know the last time they won in at the Breslin Center. It's been a while, uh, like a long while. I'm actually going to look that up because that's – do you think that's the toughest place to play? Like if there's fans, is that the toughest place to play? Or is it Purdue? What, in, in, in the Big Ten? Yeah. Oof, man. Um, Purdue's tough too. I feel like when Indiana's good as a qualifier, <laughs> that place is re- assembly hall is really hard. Um, but the, yeah, those would probably be the top three, right? Purdue, Indiana, Michigan State. Yes. So when do you think the last time is that they won at Michigan State? 2007. Are you looking at this thing? No, I'm not. All right, good, because it was 2004. Yeah, they have not won at Michigan. That is insane. Well, this could be the year. No fans. And they have just one win in the last nine games. That one came last year when they almost, almost blew a huge, what was it, about 20-point lead on that that uh, that game at, at the Kohl Center? That white, uh, the, the whiteout or the stripe, what was it, the whiteout? Stripe out? I don't know what it was. Either way, almost, uh, almost came back and, and lost that one. But I think Michigan State... We'll be interested to see, like, is Joey Hauser okay? He went down in that game with a knee injury. I don't know how severe it was. Will he be able to go against Wisconsin? He's uh, He's been up and down so far, but they have, a, they have a win at Duke. I don't know how good Duke is, but look, mm-hmm. no arena this year is tough to win. It, it's, it doesn't happen. It, it's not, right? I mean, I, that's fair to say, right? Like, there's no arena that you go to and be like, oh, nope, impossible, can't win here. Not with not with no fans. I mean, the, the fans play such a huge impact on a lot of places. Wisconsin, when uh, the games are big, but at like you know at Michigan State, eh? At Purdue, I'm, eh? It, at Iowa, it almost eh? feels like a secret scrimmage. <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, like which Wisconsin we, we, has always been very good at. There you go. Like we get to watch these games, but there's nobody there, and so there's no there's no fan energy. I think it's a completely valid point. It, it, it sort of turns college basketball on its head this year because we've never seen anything like this, but, um, it makes a big difference. I mean, home, home court advantage in college basketball has always been significant and it's like just watching an exhibition or not an exhibition, but like a scrimmage. It's exactly what you would see. Yeah. And, uh, so Wisconsin has been pretty good in those, those, uh, those close scrimmages from what we've heard. And the the stuff that leaks out of those, they've they've been pretty good, and they've been pretty good right now. I that Marquette game is going to come back to haunt them. Like, you I, think I sh- so? I shouldn't say. I In shouldn't what say. Way? I shouldn't say that. The big the, the Marquette game will be sitting there on their shoulder, thinking we should be seven zero right now. Like that that Marquette yes. team. Now they do have two top ten wins. They almost beat Xavier, but lost on a buzzer beater three. But Marquette's not a bad team. Right, like there was no. just, it's not going to be a bad loss, but it was a game that they should have won, and had they uh, just played it smarter down the stretch, would have won. Yes, <laughs> should have won. Uh, but look, I mean, it it doesn't re- and it doesn't really hurt them. I mean, it hurts your pride. It sucks to lose to an in-state rival and all that. But um, you know, if anything else, it's 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 a teaching moment and. They're about to go into the Big Ten, and that's the type of game that I think is great experience for them. How to close out a close game like that? They're going to have a lot of opportunities, I imagine, in the Big Ten to figure it out. All right, Big Ten prediction time, Jesse. As Big Ten Ooh. play, I mean, some teams have already played a game. Wisconsin has not. Yeah. They'll get they'll get things out of way on Tuesday night. But in your mind, uh, top three teams at the end of the conference season, who are they and who wins it? 
I think Wisconsin is a top three team at the end of this conference season. Now, who are the other two? Woof. I got to put Iowa in there because I've been talking them up for, you know, the whole time. Uh, and the third, I I feel like it's between Illinois and Michigan State, even though both those teams uh, just lost. I just think there's a lot of talent there. Um, I'm going to go Illinois. I'm going to say Illinois, Iowa, and Wisconsin. Wisconsin's in the top three. Who's going to win it? Or do you think it's going to be another? Do you think it's be another three-way tie? I mean, I'm not going to hedge because you know that's my favorite thing to do. I'm just going to go with Iowa. I'm all in on Iowa this year. All right, all right. Ninety points a game. Garza averages thirty-five and fifteen in the Big Ten. After all my negativity today on Wisconsin and their inability to be able to shoot the way that they have shot, and the uh, the the inconsistency with some of their guys and their fouling and all their warts that we obviously see a lot closer than people that watch them twice a year. I'm going with Wisconsin. Ooh, I I'm going, see where this is headed. I'm going with Wisconsin. I got Wisconsin. Wow. got Wisconsin winning the Big Ten. It won't okay. be a lot. I think they. I think it ends up 14-6 and six just like it did last year. Maybe, maybe 15-5, and five, but I'm going to say 14-6, and six, and I think it's going to be Illinois, and I think it's going to be Rutgers. I think those are the top three. Rutgers okay. coming out of nowhere. They are bad. I believe they're number 11 in the country this week. Wisconsin up to number nine in the AP poll. It's going to be fun, man. It is. And hopefully, knocking on all the wood possible, we get the whole thing in and, and get to, to March and we get a March Madness and we get to see where this Wisconsin team can go and see if they can make a deep run like we thought they could have last year. We'll see uh, the Big Ten get off to a start tomorrow night when they take on Nebraska at the Cole Center. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, you've been listening to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.